You know that feeling where all of your friends decide that a new song is like the best thing they've ever heard in their life? And so you listen to it. And you listen again. And again. And you just don't get it? Yeah, that's me with blockchain. Blockchain technology could revolutionize our economy. Everyone knows blockchain could actually revolutionize the world. I think that's irrefutable. I think that's a fundamental thing. Blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. Blockchain is real. If you're like me, you hear the word blockchain and your eyes glaze over. You don't know what it means exactly, and every time someone tries to explain it, you zone out. But in Silicon Valley and even in corners of Wall Street, blockchain is massive. Just say the word and your company's value doubles in a matter of hours. Take Long Island Ice Tea, for instance. The company today announced it's changing its name to Long Blockchain. <laughs> and guess what happened? Yeah, their stock tripled. Wow. I'm just going to say it. To people who watch markets, this seems so stupid it's not even worth reporting. But despite this endless news, no human being I know is actually using blockchain to do anything. I'm Derek Thompson, and this is Crazy Genius. Today, is blockchain a magical innovation that will change life as we know it? Or are we looking at the single most overhyped technology of the 21st century? There's Bitcoin, there's blockchain, and there's cryptocurrency. And sometimes I feel like these words just mush into each other. Can you help us disentangle this word not? What do each of these words mean and how do they relate to each other? So imagine you have this global database and anybody with a computer can plug into the network and basically see this global list of transactions, which is, you know, any transaction that has happened ever on the network. That's Ariana Simpson. She's an entrepreneur, investor, author, and big advocate for all things blockchain. A blockchain is really just this global distributed ledger. Distributed ledger? Okay, this is probably the most common two-word description for blockchain. And if the term makes you want to throw up or fall asleep, hang on for two seconds, because I am right there with you. So let's go back to distributed and ledger. Sure. Um, what does distributed mean, and what's a ledger? Sure. Um, so a ledger is basically a list of transactions. The central idea uh, behind distributed ledger technology is really the fact that Anybody can look at this ledger, and it's open. It's append only, which means that you can add to it, but you can't change it retroactively. And this is really important. Why? Why is it so important that the ledger cannot be changed retroactively, that it is, as you say, add only or append only? What this technology allows for is participants in the network who perhaps don't trust each other to actually verify that nobody is lying and everybody is on the same page about what transactions occurred, at what time, and between whom. So in a way, blockchain is just sort of um, a historical document. It's yes, just a history. Exactly. A shared history that everybody agrees to and can verify the state of. 
Okay, we're really getting somewhere. Blockchain is a shared, definitive history. But the most common function for blockchain today seems to be, one, buy some Bitcoin, and two, never stop talking about Bitcoin. So what's that about? Bitcoin effectively is the coin that is given as a reward to folks who are known as miners for confirming the validity of the transactions. So let me unpack that a little bit. Yes, please. So um, miners basically are participants in the network. And this is M-I-N-E-R. Yeah, you can think of them kind of like a digital gold miner in okay. some sense. And um, they basically are participants in the network. So, you know, effectively what would happen is the miners would go back and say, okay, Ariana said that she sent $5 here. Does she actually have $5 in her account to spend? They perform this work, and as a reward... They are given Bitcoin. All right, let's piece this all together. Blockchain is a history of transactions. These transactions are validated by people running computer programs all over the world. They're called miners. The miners are compensated with tokens called cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is the most famous cryptocurrency. And so if you really get focused on it being called a cryptocurrency and you try to think about you know, how is this new technology and these tokens, how are they currencies? You're going to get confused and upset because they don't look a lot like currencies. And the so, cryptocurrencies are not currencies? That's, that's my take. That's Nathana Sharma. She's a faculty member at a think tank called Singularity University and another blockchain expert whose work I really admired. I think that we're better off calling a whole range of new forms of digital exchange and digital objects as digital assets rather than currencies. Interesting. So what kind of assets? Like digital gold, digital iron, digital timber? So one analogy that I really like is when you think about postage stamps, you've got different kinds of postage stamps for different kinds of postal services. If it's FedEx, USPS, UPS, you've got to have the right postage stamp to be able to use the network. And the stamps really aren't much like currencies. You can you can buy them in exchange for dollars, and you know if you if you buy a forever stamp in the '30s, you've definitely done pretty well for yourself with respect <laughs> to inflation. Um, but it's just what you're what you're buying is really that right to participate in the network to have your letter move from one place to another. Cryptocurrencies make for terrible currencies. This year alone, Bitcoin's price fell 60% in January, rose 50% in February, then fell 40% in March. That sounds like a stock, not a viable currency. But that's why I think the stamp metaphor is so useful. Stamps are crummy currencies too. You don't go out and buy a shirt with postage stamps. But they facilitate a larger service. I know what the Postal Service does, but what services can blockchain do? Other applications, I think, that are really fascinating extend into all kinds of industries. And you look at something like supply chain, for example. Supply chain. Eh, that's a little disappointing. It's not exactly artificial intelligence or rockets to Mars. But to be fair, supply chains are important. They're how companies track goods moving around the world. The journey of a banana or a tiny part of the phone you're using to listen to this very podcast. The iPhone encompasses a lot of different parts, many of which are produced in different places by different companies. So Apple doesn't, you know, make everything from scratch. So basically, if if they were to use blockchains in their supply chain, what that might mean is they could track the provenance of a specific 
part of the iPhone from day one. Blockchains and supply chains. Seems like a perfect fit. They're both chains. Corporations manage trillions of dollars of stuff moving around the world. And blockchain can improve those systems by creating a permanent record of each transaction. That could improve efficiency for all sorts of companies. Companies that track everything from big shipping containers to individual mangoes. You know, you go into your Walmart store, you go into your grocery store, and you want to buy some mangoes. Great. Um, But what happens if the grocery store finds out that one of their suppliers has had an E. coli outbreak or there's some other problem with, with the food? You know, what do they pull from the shelves? So if you look at how long it would take to figure out, you know, this one particular crate of mangoes, exactly which farm it came from, in the traditional system, that could be weeks to months to impossible. And so there's no chance of doing a targeted recall. With blockchain technology, Walmart was actually able to speed up the ability to figure out where a particular crate came from, uh, from weeks to two seconds. But a blockchain booster will tell you this idea is a lot bigger than fruit. I think uh, if you have one takeaway on what blockchain technology is, it is a way of giving a unique fingerprint or unique signature to a digital object. Imagine that digital object is you. Your digital identity lives in a hundred different places. Facebook knows who your friends are. Amazon knows your credit card number. Equifax knows your social security number. This is perfect for hackers. They can break into any one of these sites and steal a hundred million people's information at once. And they did just this with Equifax. Over 100 million Americans last March had their identities totally compromised. And we're seeing more and more people become victims of identity theft. And when you're a victim of identity theft, you have to deal with a lot of pain. You have to deal with fake credit cards being opened in your name. Maybe somebody's filed their taxes pretending to be you, and you've got to retain lawyers and get that sorted out, deal with being audited. Uh, It's expensive and time-consuming, and... It's something that more and more Americans are vulnerable to every day. More and more people around the world are vulnerable to every day. You don't even have to be a skilled hacker to make it look like you've sent me an email when actually they're sending it. I mean, the it's it's I can't underestimate how easy it is to change records with our current internet system and to argue a lot about which one's true. But imagine if you and only you owned your identity. And every credit card number required a special cryptographic key that was linked to this identity. A single definitive history of you, an unbreakable chain of every transaction you've made. It would make it nearly impossible for fraudsters to copy your information without your knowledge. The internet's pretty ephemeral. We've just had this Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook. And people are having to think about how do they want their data protected? And where and when and how do they want to use their data. This technology gives us a new way of potentially empowering users to choose when and how they want to use their data and and taking control over that, getting ownership of it. The fact that our world is suffering from these problems of how do you document identity and property, how do we stem fraud, how do we stem cybercrime, these issues that are rising so exponentially, I think that's gotten people talking about blockchain and thinking about it in a way that they might otherwise not have. To be fair, this sort of technology doesn't exist today, but it seems pretty incredible. 
if you want to see where blockchain has potential, look for chains of human activity. Not just mangoes and iPhones, but also financial transactions, like your credit card information moving from site to site. When you think of it this way, the potential for this technology becomes clearer. Blockchain creates digital fingerprints of people and things moving through the world, and that makes it harder to counterfeit our medicine, our food, and ourselves. Suddenly, that song I didn't get was starting to sound amazing. I was ready to join the blockchain groupies. So what, you know, why is this significant? Um, Great, group record keeping, who cares? After the break, I talk to a hater. Okay, so blockchain. Uh, I've already somewhat forgotten what it is. What is it again? Um, At a base level, it's group record keeping. It's made more resilient by the way that the record is kept, by the use of multiple parties to keep it, as well as the cryptography involved. That's Angela Walsh. She's a lawyer and a researcher and a clear-eyed blockchain skeptic. You know, why is this significant? Um, Great, group record keeping. Who cares? What? Who cares? I thought everybody cared. It's a distributed ledger. It's a decentralized database. I I thought this was going to change everything. Blockchain proponents would tell you that we are going to have restored trust in governments because elections and government actions will be made more transparent by the use of this technology. So people will, uh, that will enable uh, trust to be rebuilt. They will tell you, you know, that um, voting will be on it, that property registries will be on it. I mean, you can have a database that yes. includes, you know, voting records and property records and all of this. You can have, you know, an, an Excel page that includes yes. all of this stuff. So w- what would, why is blockchain special in this regard? I don't think private blockchains are special in this regard. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to force me to say it. No, yeah, I'm forcing um, you to say it. Yeah, so... I tend to agree with the folks who say that private blockchains is just a fancy word for a shared database. So it's just a database. Defenders will say it's a more secure database because the data is shared across many, many computers rather than living on one server farm. But Walsh told me that if one computer gained control of the majority of the blockchain network, they could shut it down. If it were a blockchain for voting, that'd mean they could shut down elections. Getting enough computer power to do that might be ridiculously expensive. But it could happen. A system designed to be unhackable could be hacked. And I've boiled this down to running forward blindfolded with scissors. And the reason that I say that is because I see the action in the blockchain space as People wanting to use the technology right now for our most critical systems without acknowledging that the tech is incredibly immature and poorly understood. I am interested in but also confused by your metaphor of the person running forward blindfolded with scissors. Because it seems to me that if most of the use cases um, either don't exist or are relatively uh, silly and duplicative, 
the, the proper metaphor would be a person running forward blindfolded with silly putty. The thing in their hands isn't particularly dangerous because it's not particularly useful in the first place. So how could something, I suppose, both lack uh, use cases and a purpose, but also be dangerous? Great question. I love that question. The reason I worry about the use of blockchain and all the hype about largely private blockchains in these settings like voting and property rights is because the possibility that people will adopt it believing it has characteristics that it doesn't, okay? And when you use something misunderstanding its most basic characteristics for important purposes and you find out later through whatever catastrophe you want to imagine that it doesn't have those characteristics and it can't bear the weight that you've expected it to, Things can go wrong. Where is blockchain having the biggest effect today? I would say it's having the most effect today with cryptocurrencies in that these are the systems that are actually in use. There have been a lot of proofs of concept, pilots. There's lots of grand announcements made about the pilot going live. But then the project seems to often wither away and you don't hear much more about it. There seems to be a lot of promise, a lot of hype, but if I had to explain it to my grandmother to say, here is something that blockchain can do for you, maybe not today, but maybe in five years, I I don't know what to tell her. Do you know what I could tell her? If she wants to invest in something called a crypto asset and hope that it's worth more at the end of that five-year period. Right, but this is like a beanie baby. This is like a crypto beanie baby. Yes. Right now, that's, I think, what the main thing is that you could tell your grandmother. Blockchain promises to fix the internet, change the world. But Walsh says, other than a risky investment scheme for my grandmother, there's not much it can do yet. You know, I think right now on the consumer side, if you're in the United States and you're currently pretty well served by the existing financial system, there's not a ton that you need to be doing with it right now. Ariana Simpson again. The real answer is that It's still very early days, and a lot of these technologies don't immediately have an application for the average consumer. And I think the best example is the Internet, right? So if you look back at the Internet in its early days, everyone was like, oh, this is slow. I don't need it. Um, You know, there are very brilliant people, some of whom are prominent economists, who said the Internet is never, I think it was Paul Krugman who said the Internet uh, is going to prove that it's not any more useful than the fax machine. (laughs) And if you base the future utility of a new technology on the functionality that it has within the first decade, I think you're going to end up having a very skewed view of what's useful and what's not. Nathana Sharma says, go back even further. Thinking about the late 90s is too late of an analogy for this technology. So if you think about the development of email in the 70s, it was used in labs and people thought that it would never be used because it was hard to use. You had to, you had to be a pretty decent programmer to use email. You know, I, I, I kind of challenge you to go out onto the street in Manhattan and ask, you know, how many people really know the technology that undergirds their emails? And they don't really care. And I think we're going to see consumer applications like file storage, prediction markets, um, various kinds of applications with blockchain technology under the hood. Uh, but people won't even necessarily know that they're using blockchain technology if we get the user experience design part up to speed and we get that right. Is there a chance that blockchain ends up just not being a huge deal? You know, like the dipping dots of technology. Like it will always be (laughs) the ice cream of the future, but never be the ice cream of the present. Is that possible? You know, 
Anything's possible. You know, anything is possible. When people compare blockchain to the internet or email, what they're saying is great tech takes time. And that's true. But what they're not saying is most ideas aren't the internet or email. Most ideas just fail. And most blockchain projects might fail too. For the longest time, I felt guilty for not getting blockchain, like somebody missing out in that popular song. But blockchain isn't like a hit song. It's more like a critically acclaimed composition that normal people just don't want to listen to. After 10 years and many billions of dollars of investment, there is not one widespread consumer application for this tech other than buying Bitcoin and talking about it. The business of blockchain hasn't yet figured out how to sell things people want. And until it does, you have my permission to just tune it out. Crazy Genius was produced by Krista Ripple, Catherine Wells, and Kasia Mihailovic, with special help from Abdullah Fayyad. David Herman is our engineer. Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme song and all the music in this episode. A special thanks to Matt Thompson and Kevin Townsend. Thank you so much for your iTunes reviews, the nice ones, the not-so-nice ones. We'd like to hear from you anyway, so please keep them coming. I'm Derek Thompson. I'll see you next week.